Fasten your seatbelts because I'm taking you on a ride, taking you to the circus today. So I'm in week two of the family circus, and I've been telling you that the family is a circus, and I've been comparing it to a three-ring circus, and you remember how that works. You have three rings of entertainment or activities happening all at the same time. And the family circus is a three-ring circus, and the three rings, I told you last time, were relationship, responsibility, and we have recreation, of course. And you know, here's how it works. You have to balance these things. You don't do one or the other. You actually have all three of them working simultaneous, and your job, if you're the parent, is to be the ringmaster and make sure all of this works together in harmony. And you know there's lots of families that have great recreation, but they don't have any responsibility. You know families that have lots of responsibility, lots of discipline, lots of rules, but they don't have any relationship. And what we need to do is get a proper balance in all these things. So last week we talked about relationship, by far the most important thing to any family. Everything rises and falls on relationship. This week, ring number two is responsibility. You know, when it comes to family, there's a lot of responsibilities, right? And here's where I'm going with this. I don't think our culture today even understands what responsibility is. Now, let me give you an example. 1982, we repatriated the Constitution. Canada, for the first time in our history, got a charter of rights and freedoms. And you know what, on balance, that's a good thing. Aren't you glad we have freedom of religion? Aren't you glad we have freedom of speech? Aren't you glad we have freedom of expression? Those are all good things, and so I would applaud that. Here's the problem. There was no corresponding charter of responsibilities. We got rights, but no responsibilities to balance those out. And so consequently, for the last 40 some years, we've had people demanding their rights. We have people going up the steps of the legislative buildings or the parliament buildings, demanding their rights and groups wanting more and more rights and never concerned with what their responsibility might be in that. How come we don't have people going to the parliament buildings and saying, I demand to pay more taxes? How come no one ever is standing on the steps with a sign saying, I deserve to go to jail. I'm a terrible person. And my point is, I don't think we really understand responsibility, and some of us don't even understand it in the family. It was George Bernard Shaw who said this, that liberty means responsibility, and that's why most men dread, dread it. Now, now, let me ask you a question. When you listen to that, you say, well, liberty means responsibility. Some of you might be going, how does that work? How is that actually, how are liberty and responsibility the same thing? You know, it's really easy for me to illustrate this for you. See, freedom without responsibility is not liberty. You know what that is? That's anarchy, that's lawlessness, that's gonna lead you to chaos, you all know what I'm talking about. When people have freedom without corresponding responsibilities, you don't know what they're gonna do. But here's what happens when you have freedom with responsibility, There's, it creates liberty. I'll just, I'll just use your family as an example. If you have kids that have shown that they're, to you that they're very responsible, then you trust them and you give them more and more freedom. 
Does that sound right? And, and you, when you take highly responsible people in your family or anywhere else for that matter, we trust them because they're responsible and you know they're going to do the right thing. And what that does is it ends up producing this great thing called liberty. And so when we look at mankind, mankind's propensity, our tilt is towards rights, not to res responsibility. When the U.S. formed their country, for example, in 1776, they, they instituted a constitution, a charter of rights. 250 years later, they're still talking about it, arguing about it. They're still demanding their rights. And when God builds a society, he does exactly the opposite. I want you to think about this. He didn't give us a charter of rights. When he, when he established this first country, the country of Israel, when he sent the Jews into the promised land, he didn't give them a charter of, of rights. He gave them a charter of responsibilities. You remember? It was called the Ten Commandments. And this is what he said. He said, this is what I want you to do when you get into the promised land. Do yourself a favor and don't kill each other and don't steal from each other and don't lie to each other and don't take one another's wives. And if you will do that, you will have a righteous and a good and a prosperous and a blessed land. Does this all make sense to you? You see, rights flow out of responsibility. And the more responsibility you live in and the more responsibility you instill into your family, the more rights and freedoms that people have. So that's my little thesis. We're going to jump into the scripture. And this is in Ephesians chapter 5. We're going to start at verse 33. And this is what it says. Nevertheless, let each one of you in particular love his own wife as himself. And let the wife see that she respects her husband. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and your mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, that it may be well with you and you may live long on the earth. And you, fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the training and the admonition of the Lord. Now, this is Paul's writing. This is his treatise to the family, his instruction to the family. And he says, this is what the family should look at like. And every one of those things he mentioned were responsibilities, weren't they? The responsibility of the husband is to love his wife. The responsibility of the wife is to respect her husband. Ladies, aren't you glad you don't have to love the old lug? You only have to respect him. The responsibility of the children is to obey their parents. Now the next one, most people misunderstand it, because right after that, he says, honor your father and mother. Actually, he's not writing that to the children. I don't have time to go into it, but that's actually to adult children about honoring their elderly parents, that commandment. And he says this, he says, honor your elderly parents, for it is the first command with a promise. And the promise was that things will go well with you and you will live long on this earth. So what happens is when we take that responsibility, things go our way and we live long on this earth. And I look at our world today, which is not particularly honoring their parents. We're sending them off and go live somewhere else and take care of yourself and hire, maybe the government should take care of them. And we haven't honored our elderly parents. Well, you know what? If you don't honor your parents, if, if, if you do honor them and you get long life, then that means if you don't honor them, you deserve to die. <laughs> That's the way I interpret this. So then, then he goes on and he actually starts talking about the responsibility of the fathers. And he says, fathers, here's your responsibility to your children. Don't provoke them to wrath. I'll tell you what Paul's doing here. He's actually uh, reinterpreting or actually correcting an Old Testament misconception. 
See, a lot, even Christians today believe that their job of the parents is to discipline the kids by beating the crap out of them. And that is kind of an Old Testament notion that people get from some of the Proverbs, like spare the rod, spoil the child. And I've heard Christians teach on this, that it's our job to beat and, and discipline our kids physically. But Paul corrects that and says, no, no, fathers, don't provoke your children to wrath. How many of you knew a family growing up, or maybe you were in this family growing up, where the father was a strict disciplinarian? How many knew one of those families? And how'd those kids turn out? In most cases, they were the most rebellious kids, weren't they? They rebelled against that because they didn't have the love and they didn't have the nurture. And so, so Paul's mis he's, he's correcting that misconception. And he says, fathers, don't provoke them to wrath. Here's what I want for you. I want you to train them and admonish them in the Lord. And we're going to spend a lot of time talking about what that is today. But first of all, I want to go back to the circus for a moment, if we can. So one of the things we love about the circus, or we used to, was how they tamed the wild animals. I mean, they had tigers, and they had lions, and they had elephants doing tricks. How did they tame the wild beasts? Anybody know? They trained them. <laughs> now, here's the most important, part of, most important question here. When did they train them? When they were young or when they were old? Young. What would happen if they trained them when they were old? Would it work? It actually wouldn't work. You have got to train these animals when they're young so that it seems normal. And I'll tell you, the stuff they get these animals to do is not normal. I mean, look at this picture. How do you train a tiger to want to jump through a flaming hoop? How many of you would jump through a flaming hoop? Do you think the tiger wants to jump through a flaming hoop? He doesn't want to jump through a training hoop or a flaming hoop. But what happened was his trainer convinced him that that was normal. And so he does it. And this is my favorite picture. You know what these, these tigers are doing? You know what they're doing? You know what this, this trick is? They're saying grace. <laughs> they're saying grace because that's lunch right in front of them. <laughs> he, he doesn't know that. And my simple point is this, is how are you going to train the wild beasts that live in your home called your children? And you're going to have to start young. And so I'm going to give you the basic training today, uh, but let me, let me talk about what this word means. So I'm going to throw two words up that was in this scripture. The two words were, were uh, training and admonition. The wor first word training is the word paideia. Paideia was a very uh, common word to these people in Ephesians. Because the Ephesians were in the city of Ephesus. Ephesus was a Greek city. The Bible was written in the Greek language. Paul, for this word training, uses the word paideia. They would have all known. These Greek-speaking people would have all known what he was talking about. It's interesting that that's the book that he used that particular word. And you could go look this up in, uh, online if you want, and you will discover that paideia was a Greek form of education. And it was actually a higher form of education. It's what the noblemen and the, and the wealthy people and the and educated class, what they did with their children was they gave them a paideic education where they not only gave them higher learning, but here's the key. They trained them in ethics and morality and citizenship. And the whole idea was to raise these children that would be adults that would live for the greater good and not for themselves, that they would take responsibility. So when Paul uses that word, the Ephesians all know what he's talking about. And he actually had right to use that word because if you go read about Paul's story, he had a paideic education himself. He talks about it in, in Acts chapter 22, verse 3. He said that he was trained at the feet of Gamaliel. 
Now, you might know the story of Paul that he was a Jewish man, but he grew up in a Greek city of Tarsus, and his parents sent him to Jerusalem to train under the Sanhedrin, and the chief professor, the high intellect of the day, was this man named Galileam, and he trained at his feet. So Paul knows what he's talking about. Now, speaking of professors, how many of you know who Canadian Jordan Peterson is, Dr. Jordan Peterson, how many know? He's a clinical psychologist, uh, was a professor for many years at the University of Toronto. Now he is an uh, internet sensation. Maybe one of the highest trending individuals on the whole internet right now is Jordan Peterson. And the New York Times called him the most influential and polarizing intellect in the English-speaking world. This man has a huge audience, ranking in the millions and millions of people. Not everybody likes him because he's, well, let's just put it this way. He's really hard to argue because he's 10 times smarter than everybody else. So you're usually going to lose that argument. But what he is doing is he's calling out the insanity and the stupidity of woke culture. And he's calling this thing out. And his audience, which is really interesting to me, even though he's 60 years old or so, his audience is young people, young men and young women. And I'm gonna oversimplify Jordan's message, just like I do with everybody. And here's how I'm gonna oversimplify it. His core message is this, that he is calling young people, and in fact all people, to tar start taking responsibility for their lives and quit blaming everything on everybody else. And that's a message I think we can all agree with. So in, in his book, The 12 Rules of Life, this is how he words it. And here's what it says. It says, the meaning of life is not rooted in the pursuit of happiness, but in responsibility and honesty. To stand up straight with your shoulders back to, is to accept the terrible responsibility of life with wise eyes wide open. And see, that's what he is calling young people to do. And here's what's fascinating to me. These young people are tuning in. These young people that have been raised on Reddit and on social media are tuning into this middle-aged professor who is calling them to responsibility. And they're realizing that their lives are chaotic and spinning out of control. And when they start to take responsibility for their actions, instead of blaming somebody else, then peace and consistency starts coming to their life. And so I'm grateful that there's somebody, somebody challenging our young people from an intellectual perspective. And not everybody likes them, like I said, but that's, you know, that's whatever. Somebody's doing it, and I'm grateful for that. So here's what I want to do today. I want to talk about basic training. If we're going to tame the wild beast, and if we're going to train them, uh, paideia, like Paul says, we have to have basic training. And here are the three things that have to be trained into people. Honesty, respect, and gratitude. And I'll tell you why you have to train these things into the, your children, because they are not innate. They are not intuitive. They will not naturally be honest, respectful, or grateful. It's not part of who they are. They aren't created that way. They were born sinful into this world. Some of you know that. And these things are all, each and every one of them learn behavior. So let me prove it to you, and I am gonna prove it to you. So the first one is, the first one is honesty. And honesty is one of these things that kids, frankly, are not born with. And if you don't teach it to them, they will not learn it. And there's a uh, developmental psychologist out of the University of Toronto by the name of Kang Yi. And he's done a tremendous amount of research on this. And I'll tell you what the bottom line is. The bottom line of his research is, is that kids are liars. 
And uh, if, he's got a great uh, TED talk on this, if you ever want to go look it up. And uh, here's, uh, I, here's a few things I want to tell you, but I'm going to start with this one. So what he did was he, he wanted to test whether we could tell if kids were lying or not. And so what he did was he took these kids, he put them in a room one by one. He had a stack of uh, a couple of cards on there. He was going to ask, the researcher was going to ask some questions. But then in the middle of it, and they were told this, they were told that they're going to win this really great prize if they get these answers right. But then in the middle of that, before they asked the questions, the researcher said, oh, I forgot something. He left the room, turned and said, whatever you do, don't peek at the cards. And so she left the room, and then she came back a minute later, and the whole thing is videotaped. So they knew whether the kids had peeked at the cards or not. Now, here was the whole test. It wasn't about whether they were going to get the answers right. The big challenge of this test, this research, was A, was the kid going to peek? And B, if the kid did peek, was they're, whether they're going to lie about it, right? So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to show you the video of these two kids, and they're going to get asked the question, did you peek? And your job, watch very, very carefully, because it's only a few seconds long, and your job is to look at these two kids, and I want you, when I run the clip, to tell me which one of these kids is lying. One of them's lying. OK, you ready? So let's roll the clip. Did you peek? No. And this is child number two. Did you peek? No. All right, so there you saw it. It just went by in a few seconds. So one of these two kids peeked. How many of you think it was kid number one? How many think it was kid number one? Okay, how many think it was kid number two? Wow, almost all of you went with kid number one. You know what the answer is? Kid number two. Kid number two, the girl is the liar. And here's why you, I mean, you look at that little boy, and, and as soon as you looked at him, you thought, he's for sure lying. That little, <laughs> that, that little impish face, he's got guilt written all over him. And then the, the girl, she immediately shook her head, didn't she? No, no hesitation. She is a very good liar. And she convinced all of you. And here's what uh, Dr. Yee's conclusion was, is it doesn't matter how well you are trained, you cannot tell if somebody is lying. And he's saying to parents, you can't actually tell if your kids are lying. There's absolutely no way for you to tell that because they're all liars. Now, I'm going to show you something. I'm going to prove that to you in a moment, but I'm going to show you one more clip, and I want you to tell me whether this kid is lying or not. Ready? Here it is. Roll tight. Do you need to wash your hands? Did you eat cake? No. You didn't have any cake. No. <laughs> what have you been eating? Nothing. Nothing. <laughs> How many think she's lying? <laughs> yeah, she's lying because she's got the evidence all over her face. And not only that, when she holds her hands up, if I didn't run the, I didn't run the whole clip, but if I ran it, she holds her hands up, and they're just covered in chocolate cake. And she's going into the washroom to wash her hands. And so her mom says, where'd you get that, all, that sticky stuff on your hands? She says, from the floor. <laughs> she just lies and lies and lies and lies. And so, so anyway, here's what Dr. Yi discovered with kids, that at the age of two, and here's the graph, at the age of two, 30% of kids will lie to cover up some transgression so they don't get punished. By the age of three, 50% of them will lie. By the age of four, 80% of those kids will lie. 
And Dr. Yee's research shows you that actually by, by four years old, 80% of kids are liars. And they will lie to cover up a transgression. Now, here's his point, which is fascinating. He said it's actually normal brain development in a child. What happens is their brain develops and they begin to realize that if they lie to get out of something and don't have to face the consequences, why wouldn't you? If you can get away with something, why wouldn't you? Because a four-year-old or a three-year-old has no sense of morality. Because morality is taught. And so we are not intuitively honest, and kids are going to lie. So if 80% of all kids are stinking rotten liars, then we have our work cut out for us, don't we? And if you as the parent don't teach them to be truthful, they will not become truthful. Now, I remember growing up, my dad had this friend, and he was a lie and a cheat. There's no other way to describe this guy. He cheated on his income tax. He bragged about it to everybody. He lied every time he did a deal or did something. He lied, he lied, he lied, he lied. He never tried to hide the fact. He told everybody that. His kids saw him cheating and lying and cheating on his income tax. Let me ask you a question. What kind of adults do you think his kids turned out to be? Yeah, liars and cheats. Why would they know any different? See, if we don't train our children in honesty and morality, they will not pick it up on their own because it is not innate to human nature because we are fallen, fallen humans. Second thing is respect. Respect also is not an innate activity. It is something you have to teach our kids. And you know why? They're selfish. All kids are selfish little brats. That's how they came into this world. I'm sorry I'm insulting them, but it's just true. And the scripture tells us that. That said, the imagination of a man's heart is evil, even from his youth. Why? Because we are descendants of Adam and Eve, and we are fallen creatures. And by nature, we come into this world selfish. And if you don't train selfishness out of kids, they will stay selfish for the rest of their lives. And so you have to teach them respect. So here's the question I always ask parents, and I'm going to ask you. You know that everybody loves and enjoys their children. Everybody enjoys their children, most people anyway. The big question is this, does anybody else enjoy them? And I think that's an important question and an important distinction for people, is does anybody else enjoy their kids? Your kids. And so, you know, I'm going to tell you a little story about this. This is going to totally sound like I'm bragging, but I'm telling you, it is not. This is a true story, and if it wasn't true, I would be bragging, but it's true. So we, when, we, when our kids were younger, we used to take them out once every week or every two weeks to, for pizza or tacos. They loved to do that. I bet your kids love to do that. But we made a deal with them. We said, when we take you out, we're sitting in that restaurant. We want you to be polite, and we want you to be respectful, and we want you to be behaved, and there will be no screaming, and there'll be no crying, there'll be no throwing food and cutlery at people. We are not going to be doing that. Because if you don't do that, we won't be going back again. And so we always made that really clear. We drilled that into them before we went out. And so when we got out, now our kids were far from perfect. I, I understand that. But when we went out for, for dinner or for lunch, they were always well behaved. So much so, and here's the truth part that you're not going to believe, so much so that strangers used to walk over to our table and compliment us on how polite our children were. And on two occasions, you go ask my daughter, on two occasions, people came by and gave them money. <laughs> gave them money. And my kids would be sitting there with a toonie or a loonie in their hand, and they would look at them and say, why are people giving us money? And I said, because you're polite and respectful and not a stinking, rotten, snotty-nosed brat. That's why. And people like that better. <laughs> See, I had to explain stuff like that to them. 
And so, so respect is one of these things that we're going to have to train our kids. Everybody enjoys your kids. Or your, no, everybody enjoys their kids. Does anybody else enjoy them? That's my big question. The third thing is gratitude. Again, gratitude is learned behavior. It does not come naturally. Uh, you know, when I was growing up, let me see if you can remember this one. When I was growing up, our parents used to ask us this question. So what are the magic words? Who remembers what the magic words were? Yes, please and thank you. you. You ask the new generation that same question, you say, what are the magic words? They'll say, abracadabra. You know, they, 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 they don't have a clue what the magic words are, right? And see, gratitude is something that is actually, once again, learned behavior. If you don't train your kids to be grateful, they actually won't be. And it's something that you look around today and you all know times where you have looked and you thought, why are these kids not saying thank you? Why are they not saying please? What is wrong with these kids? I'll tell you what's wrong with these kids. They're parents. They're parents. You know, when I'm at a restaurant and I see these kids just going crazy at the table and yelling and screaming and taking a tantrum out the, on the floor out in public, I want to walk right over and slap the parents is what I want to do because they're the real problem with this. And I remember when we hosted birthday parties. How many hosted birthday parties for your little kids? You, you all did this. It was, it was required. Nowadays, if you hold a birthday party, you better get, take a second mortgage out in your home because you're going to have to get a clown and live animals and helicopter rides. It's going to cost you a fortune. And then the big question is, is how many of these snotty-nosed kids are going to actually say thank you when they leave? And Kathy and I used to always take bets on it. And we would try to guess which kids were going to say thank you and which kids weren't. And it was really easy to figure out. You know why? Because we knew their parents. And you could tell from their parents, if we knew them well enough, we would know, if they, are these polite parents? Are these the kind of parents that are training their kids in these things? And we could almost guess to the kid which one was going to say thank you at the end of the day. It's a remarkable thing, because it's not about kids. The kids are ungrateful and selfish by nature. So we're going to have to train them. We're going to have to instill these values into them. So I've got to tell you this little story. You'll get a kick out of it. So I don't know, about 10 years ago, maybe, uh, our son, maybe he's 25 at the time, uh, he took a bunch of his friends to the lake. He said, Pop, can, we take, can I take my buddies, a bunch of guys, going to be eight or 10 of us, and can we go to the weekend of the cottage and use the boats and go fishing and all do this stuff? And I said, yeah, yeah, you can do that. You know, just you know, respect the place and don't burn it down. And, and uh, you know the rules. So yeah, so off he went and spent the weekend. And they had a great weekend. And when we got back you know, a few weeks later, the cottage was still standing. They hadn't burned it down. So that was pretty, pretty good. And uh, so anyway, I didn't think any more of it. Six months later, we're now in December. It's Christmas time. We're at this event. And one of my son's friends comes running up to us and says, Mr. and Mrs. Hughes, that's what he calls us. Mr. and Mrs. Hughes, I just wanted to thank you for last summer when you had me down to your summer cottage. And I'm looking at him thinking, I don't remember having you to my summer cottage. <laughs> he didn't seem like a guest I would have. And uh, I said, I, I was lost. I said, what, what do you mean? He said, Jordan, your son Jordan, he took us all down in August to your summer place. And when I saw you in the, in the room here, I wanted to run over. And I just wanted to thank you so much for having us down that weekend. It was a great weekend. And I looked at him, and I knew exactly what I wanted to say to him. And I said, son, do you know either of my daughters? <laughs> and he said, yeah, I know them both. And I said, good, because I give you permission to marry either one of them. 
is a, this is a true story. This is a true story. Now, unfortunately, my daughter's married to other guys. <laughs> so, you know, they turned out okay. You know, what am I going to tell you? Uh, but, but here's my point. Honesty, respect, gratitude, they're not going to figure it out on, on their own. And if these are the three big ones. These are the basic training. These are the things that we are going to have to instill in our kids. And if we don't do it, it ain't going to get done. Now, let me, let me re retrace something I talked about last week. So last week, I gave you some stats on how much time parents are spending with their kids. And the average father is now spending seven hours a week. The average mother, 14 hours a week uh, with their kids, like good quality, decent, influencing time. Today, I'm going to show you how much time kids are spending in front of a screen. The TV, the computer, their cell phone. You're going to be staggered when you see it. Here's the stats on it. This isn't per week. This is per day. And this number is going up every single year. And tweens, 8 to 12-year-olds, are now spending five and a half hours every single day in front of a screen. And teens, 18, 13 to 18 years old, are spending eight and a half hours. Eight and a half hours a day in front of a screen. Now, they can argue they're doing their homework, but I don't believe they're doing homework for eight and a half hours. I think they're spending eight and a half hours training to be a degenerate. That's what I think. I think that's a full-time job for them. You think, oh, I don't know what's wrong with my teen. I know what's wrong with your teen. Eight and a half hours. Y you don't work eight and a half hours a day. But our kids are working eight and a half hours being influenced by what's online. And let me tell you what's online. It's not how to behave well. It's not how to take responsibility. It's kinds of things that would absolutely blow your mind. They are being exposed to things that you and I, thank God, never even dreamed of when we were growing up. But our kids are being uh, exposed to such debased things today. If you actually knew, you would be shocked. Now, in the interest of full disclosure, I got to point out that when I grew up, I was into some dark stuff. I was watching television, and I wasn't watching the good stuff. I was watching the bad stuff. I was watching television shows with scantily clad women. I was watching shows about witchcraft and about sorcery. I'm going to show them to you. Maybe you'll recognize them. Scantily clad women, Gilligan's Island. <laughs> witchcraft, bewitched. <laughs> sorcery, I dream of genie. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, there was nothing dark on TV. It was all wholesome. It was always family friendly. There was no swearing. There was no nudity. There was no sexuality. None of that existed. Our kids could let us watch that stuff, and they knew that it wouldn't corrupt us. That is not what kids are seeing today. They are exposed to more drugs and more sexuality and more dark things than you can possibly shake a stick at. There are the things that the language alone should cause us pause. The language, you know, and, and I don't want to sound like an old fart, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say it anyway. You know, when I was growing up, there was no F word on TV. It was illegal. It was against the law to use the F word on television. Now it is open season. They're allowed to use it as much as possible. And you can sometimes, particularly on cable type stations, you can turn on the television and watch a show where they use the F word every third word. 
And the argument is to the, you know, these regulation bureaus is that they're not, they're not being racy, they're being authentic because this is how people talk. And I know I've watched some shows and, and, and they, there's not a single sentence without the F word in. I've turned it off and I've turned to Kathy and I said, I don't believe people really talk like that. I don't believe it. I'm exposed to enough people from enough different walks of life. I know people swear, but not like that. That is not authentic. There's something really degenerated about this. And our kids are exposed to this at such a level that it is shocking. And how are we going to counter the influence? There's only two places where the influence of the world is being countered with an alternative, and that's the family and that's the church. Where else? Where else? So, see, let me ask you a couple of questions about this. What is the message that young people are getting from legalized drugs, legalized recreational drugs? What is the message? The message is they're not harmful, and you need to anesthetize yourself so you can deal with the verities and the stresses of life. And that way, you know, you can just keep yourself in this dull, dumb state, and you'll just feel fine about it. And if we learned nothing from Aldous Huxley's brave new world, we should have learned this, that the government's strategy is to keep you high and stupid so they can control you. What is the way, <laughs> I don't know why you're tearing at that, but. <laughs> I got a bunch of rednecks in the room. I like that. And, <laughs> and so the second question is this. What is, what is the message that has been sent to young people about legalized abortion? I'll tell you the message is that you don't have to take responsibility for casual sex. You can do whatever you want. And if by chance you end up having a pregnancy out of it, you don't need to let that inconvenience you in the least because you can just go right ahead and kill the baby without any consequences. That's the message. What is the message that has been sending to, being sent to young people about gender? Yeah, I'm going to go where angels fear to tread here because nobody seems to be talking about it. So, so I'm, I'm going to talk about it. Because I look at our world today and why are so many people so confused about their gender and their sexuality? Why is it that people think that somehow God made this huge royal mistake or nature made this huge mistake and somehow put them into the wrong body? How, how, how did this? I, I would not have foreseen this 10 years ago. I never thought in a million years so many people would be so confused about the gender. And the reason is, is because of what they're being told. And it's not coming, it's not natural. It's, uh, uh, well, let me, let, me do it, let me do it this way, because I, I know I'm, like I said, I'm in dicey territory. How many of you know who Bill Maher is? How many of you know who Bill Maher is? You shouldn't know if you're a good Christian person. <laughs> he, he's the real-time guy, uh, the politically incorrect guy. He's on HBO. And you know what? He's vulgar. He's, he's insulting. A lot of people wouldn't like him, especially Christian people. And he comes from the, you know, left of center political spectrum. He's a liberal, and he'd be the first to tell you that. But here's what I like about what he's doing, is he will call out people on the left or the right if he thinks that there's something insane about what they're doing. And uh, just so you know, before I show you this, just so you know where he's coming from, he fully supports LGBTQ rights. He fully supports uh, you know, same-sex marriage. He fully supports gay rights and trans rights. And, and that's the camp he's in. But he's asking the question, have we gone off the deep end? And so what he did was he did this piece. I showed it to our staff. I thought they should all see it. And it was called uh, Along for the Pride. 
And he was talking about this news story that was saying that Americans are identifying as LGBTQ at a rate uh, that is exponentially higher than any other time in the past. And so then what he does is he shows that actually every single generation, it's doubling in every generation. And here's his chart. And so the silent generation, the builder generation, it was 0.8%. And then it doubled the next generation to the baby boomers of 2.6, and doubled again to Gen X, 4%, and then doubled again in the millennials, 10%, and doubled again to Generation Z, 20%. So he said, if you follow it to its logical conclusion, you ready for this? By 2054, we'll all be gay. <laughs> and, he, and he asked the question, he says, what's up with this? Are all the babies being born in the wrong bodies? And he says, look, it's not, it's not homophobic and it's not transphobic to ask the question, what on earth is going on here? And you see, when we look at our world today, we should be very frightened about a few things. Because in Canada, it is legal at the age of 10 to prescribe puberty blockers to children, ready for this, without their parents' consent. Without their parents' consent. They will give puberty blockers, which are going to irrevocably change their genetic development. And my question for you is, how's that not child abuse? To be giving these kids drugs that are altering their entire physiological makeup, and we, know, we don't even know what the long-term effects of this are going to be. And yet, on some level, it carries on and carries on. And so uh, we have Bill Maher, he asks this question, and I, and I love it. He says, you know, when I grew up, when we asked a child, what do you want to be when you grew up? We were referring to their profession. <laughs> and he says, what does a 10-year-old know about what they're going to be when they grow up? He said, I wanted to be a pirate. I'm just so grateful I wasn't scheduled for eye removal and leg amputation for a peg leg. It's very funny, but it's also kind of real. See, here's my question for you. See, we don't, allow, we don't allow children of 10 years old, or 12 years old, or 14 years old, we don't let them smoke, we don't let them drink, we don't let them drive a car, we don't let them vote. Why would we allow them to make this decision that could irreparably harm their physiological future? And Sweden and Finland, thank you. Sweden and Finland, two of the most liberal countries in the world, have actually banned the use of puberty blocking drugs on children because they now recognize the science is coming in and saying it actually harms their development and their bone density and we're not sure what harm it's gonna do. So finally, finally we're starting to wake up to this. And the whole point of this question and why I'm throwing this out to you is this, is this is the message of the world. This is the confused message that has gone over the deep end, irrespective of what your view might be on you know, marriage and on gender and on sexuality, we've gone too far. We have gone over the cliff and somebody needs to bring this back. And we maybe can't change the world around us, but you can change your family. And if you don't talk to your kids, who's gonna talk to them about this? You're gonna have to have the difficult conversation with your children because guess what? Nobody else is having it. So the first thing is this, it's training, paideia. The second thing is admonition, and I'll just crash land this message with this. And it's the Greek word nuthesia. And nuthesia means to put someone back in their right mind. New is mind, and thesia is to, to put right. And what it means is to warn or correct someone. And again, when we come to correcting our kids, there's a very important way to do it. 
And you don't do it by reacting out of emotion and frustration. You've all seen that, where they, the kids are misbehaving and they're misbehaving. It's driving the parent crazy. You've probably all been there. And then they get all frustrated and they lose their cool and they yell at their kids, or worse yet, they swing at them and hit them. It's the absolute worst form of discipline. And the proper form of discipline is to, before the fact, before they have misbehaved, you correct them and you warn them what the consequences will be. So, for example, Jesus did it. He used nuthesia. He used uh, admonition. And you remember the man he healed at the pool of Bethesda. He came up out of the water, or not from the water, he came up healed and started walking on his feet. And then he says to the man, go your way and what? Sin no more, lest what? Lest a worse thing come upon you. So what did he do? He didn't smack the guy upside the head. He said, look, the condition you're in may have been caused by your bad behavior. So go your way and sin no more, lest the warning, lest a worse thing come upon you. And so what he did was he appealed to his mind to put him in his right mind and warned him in, in, in really clear terms. And the way you parent with your children is the same way. You know, there's all kinds of weird parenting techniques, but the best thing you can do to raise your kids so they understand what they're supposed to do is tell them in advance. And you give them a warning. You tell them what you're required of them. So I'm just going to close with this one quick story. Kathy was a much better parent than I was by far, and she was really good with our kids. And when she was a stay-at-home mom and I was at work, she would take them once a week to McDonald's Playland. Remember McDonald's Playland? They had slides and they had the balls that the kids jumped in. Our kids loved it. But here's what she said to them. She'd say, okay, we're going to go to McDonald's. Every Tuesday they went. She said, we're going to go to McDonald's this morning. We're going to spend one hour, exactly one hour. And after one hour, I'm going to tell you it's time to go. And here's what I need you to do. To put on your boots and to put on your jacket and come peacefully and quietly for us to go home. Because if you scream and if you cry and if you yell and if you refuse to, to go with me, we're never going again. What did she do? She appealed to their intellect, even though they were two and four and five years old. And do you know that never once did they misbehave? They're pretty smart. You can train your children. And it's incumbent upon us. We have all of these influences in the world taking our kids out, people. And there's never been a more critical time than today for us to be parents and to not provoke our children to wrath, but to train them and admonish them because we can set them on the right path. Train up your children in the way they should go. And when they're old, they will not depart. Let's stand together, shall we? All right, I know that was a lot of material, but I only got through half of it. <laughs> so let's do something. I want to ask you all to bow your heads and close your eyes. We do this every Sunday. And uh, I feel like it's really important to give people an opportunity to invite Christ into their life. And uh, if you're here and you've never done that, it's a responsibility. And Jesus has done all the heavy lifting. He died on the cross for your bad behavior. You grew up just like those kids I talked about. And you're in this place where you've got some things in your life you, you need to correct. And the way you correct them is by coming to the cross and accepting the fact that Jesus died on the cross for you. And I'm going to make this really simple. I'm not going to call you out. I'm not going to call you forward. I'm not going to ask you to say anything publicly. But with every head bowed and every eye closed, if you know that today you need to make a decision to be a follower of Jesus, 
and make that right, I want you to just slip up your hand right where you are. Not calling you forward, right where you are. Nobody's looking around, right where you are. Just take a moment, thank you at the back, thank you at the side. Anybody else want to join these folks today? Just take a moment. Maybe you knew them in the past and you've slipped away and you need to come back. All right, you can all put your hands down. Said I wouldn't single anybody out, so we'll all pray together. Lord Jesus, I'm so grateful that though I'm a broken person and I came into this world as a sinner and I've made some tragic mistakes, I'm so grateful that today they can be forgiven and you can wash them all away and you can reclaim my soul because you died on the cross for my sin, you rose again on the third day, and you forever live to be my Lord. So I thank you today. I'm a Christian, and I'm on my way to heaven. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Let's give Jesus a shout, shall we?